Hey, this is Julian Terry, the filmmaker who brought you the horror shorts, Don't Peek, Whisper, and The Nurse. I wanted to let you know that we dusted off our Blackmagic pocket camera and shot a new scary short. It has everything you're told not to put in your short. Two kids, a dog, and plenty of makeup effects. And it's all at night. I really could not have done it without the low light mode on this camera. Make sure to check out They Hear It this Halloween. Hey everyone, we are so lucky to have back on the podcast the great Edgar Wright. We had him earlier this year when he did the Sparks Brothers documentary. We've got him back to talk about his feature Last Night in Soho. If you haven't seen Last Night in Soho already, it's a fun trip into the past. It's a horror thriller with some light moments as well, of course, which is part of what makes Edgar Wright so unique. It's visually stunning and unique. The soundtrack is awesome. Christy Wilson Cairns co-wrote it with him, and she's here as well to talk about, I think, some of the undertones of the film, less so about the crafting of it. We really got into and discussed what it means to them, how they approached balancing some really powerful stuff with some light stuff and genre stuff. Again, this is sort of a specialty, I think, of Edgar Wright's, but it takes a deft hand to tackle uh, you know, a human coming-of-age story that combines stuff about physical trauma, sexual abuse, uh, nostalgia, the danger of a muse, what it is to be creative and sensitive, and also just like you know, straight-up horror stuff and thriller stuff, which they do so well. Be sure to check the film out. Like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. And here we go. It's great having you back. And it's great having Christy here too. The movie is is wonderful and fascinating. And there's a lot I want to talk to both of you about. I'm thrilled you're here. I think right off the bat, what strikes me, and we'll avoid anything spoilery, of course, what really strikes me about this movie as, you know, we're a filmmaking podcast and a filmmaking site. In a way, this movie feels like a love letter to the experience of entering a story. Is that part of what was happening in your mindset about this? Like what it is to enter into something and, and live and breathe it and see yourself sort of reflected in it? Well. A lot of my films, I think of as being experiential in the sense that, I mean, all films are experiential, but like all of my films center around a central character and with a few tiny exceptions, the central character is in every single scene. And, and this is no exception because, you know, the whole design of the movie is that you're going on the journey with Eloise. Mm. You're experiencing it as she experiences it. And so... You and the information that you have is the information that she has. And so it was really designed to be something where, similar to what you're saying, you're going on a journey with her and there are, there are no scenes with other characters without her. Mm-hmm. Like everything that you can kind of see and hear in the film is what she can see and hear. And so I guess in a weird way, like where like in some of my previous movies, you're sort of, sort of slightly living vicariously through an experience. In this one, it's something where you're giving somebody like the sort of the dream, like the dream of going back to the 60s, and then you're sort of like turning it back on them. So that's something that was by design as well. So I I guess in a way, like to answer your question, I think that's right. But also then we start to subvert it in terms of Mm. turning, you know, that story into 
something that you don't want to experience. Yeah. On that note, and Christy, I want to hear your thoughts on this too. It feels like there's a sort of almost, I don't want to say a cautionary tale, but it's like there's a muse nostalgia maybe, or a particular period or time or something sort of beautiful that captures a creative ideal. And then maybe when, if you get closer to it, there's something there that's not so great. (laughs) Like if you were actually living it or if you were actually experiencing it, was that part of the intention? And, and what was, you know, obviously the love is comes through so strong for the period, the music, the look, the fashion, but were you intentionally saying there's darker side to every dream sort of? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when Edgar first told me the story, I obviously am a nostalgic person and I, I love the idea of thinking, oh, I could go and live in another time in another place. But I, I always want to snap back to the present. I would I would hate to be stuck back there. And, and I think, you know, what I knew about the 60s, you know, the swing in 60s and you've got like Princess Margaret and the Rolling Stones on Carnaby mm. Street and, and Amazing Fashion and all that stuff. And I, and I, I knew it as like, you know, one of those radical decades that you would love to holiday in. Um, but when we actually got the research... And, and you, you know, you, you dig beyond the rose sort of tinted lenses and you see how difficult that decade was, particularly for women, mm-hmm. um, you know, how few rights uh, and chance and opportunities that we really had. And that to me, like really brought it home because I think nostalgia is often weaponized. We're often told, oh, look back to the good old days mm-hmm. and, and look back as, as opposed to like looking at the present or looking forward. And I think the whole film's really about that and, and was from the story stage is, is the danger of romanticizing the past and not living in the present. It's also, I think it's that when you spend too long thinking about the past or sort of reveling in nostalgia, you are essentially in retreat. Mm. There's sort of a couple of points in the movie where Eloise comes to London and um, doesn't kind of like have a great time with contemporary London. And her first retreat is to sort of move out of her dorms and get her own place. And then the second retreat is to go back in time. But, ne- but neither of those things are the answer. And, mm. and this isn't a spoiler or anything, but essentially what the movie's about is the, you know, just a sharp rebuke to the idea of like, no matter how much you think backwards, there's nothing, you can't go back in time. You cannot change the past. You can only live in the present. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I like what both of you just said. It crystallizes something for me, which is we begin the movie deep in her fantasy. And you do an amazing thing with sound, like the non-diegetic to diegetic sound of, of the music she's listening to. And then it becomes, oh, it's not the soundtrack of the movie. It's the music in the room. Like you do a shift there that, that you play with later. 
that she's so deep in the fantasy and then the reality is so not the fantasy, right? The reality of London today. But I feel like, and this is also not a spoiler, what you're trying to bring us to towards the end is like, hey, there's a version of today that is so much better than yesterday, right? Yesterday's, there's so much torment for a woman in particular, like in the middle of the city, that like you, the good old days are not the good old days. Like there, there's so much that is better about now, right? Is all of that kind of packed in there, especially from a female perspective, like you said. I'd say this, the sad thing in the tale is maybe not everything is great now either. <laughs> Let's not make it too bleak. <laughs> but, but Edgar, I always love the thing you say about like, she's not Marnie McFly and none of us are. Like none of us yeah. can come back and do anything to change the past. Yeah. It's happened, it's done. And we can look back and learn from it. But like to be want to be drawn back to live in it is, is sort of almost like a curse. Mm. And, and the beauty of the present and the future is it's yet to be written. And so I think that to me is like the journey that Ellie has to go on to learn the value of, of like, okay, moving forward. I, I spend way, way too much time thinking about the past and two different things is like, one, like, I, I'm sure other people do this where you start to go back and thinking, oh, if I knew I could do that again, but I don't want to redo the good thing that I did. That's fine. I'll leave that as it is, but I just go back and do that other thing. <laughs> when you sort of get into this thing where you're trying to do an audit on your life and thinking, I change that thing and that thing. But I, I just say you're such a director. You're like, oh, I could do that one better on another take. <laughs> you want another take. <laughs> what you don't want to do, the sort of thing is then the day, the thing is you used to go back and you think the things that were done well, you don't even want to think about trying to do that again. So it's the thing where I just, I, and I, it, it bothers me. I just think about it all the time. And in, in fact, one of the inspirations for, for this was like, I would think about going back to the sixties a lot and, you know, I'd have to eventually question why I was doing that, but it would be that thing of like, at first you're thinking about it in the same way that maybe Eloise experiences it. Wouldn't it be great to go back as a cultural time traveler? But then you also have to think as well, which is part of the reason for the movie thinking, mm, it might be more fun as a man, <laughs> like, <laughs> like as a woman going back. Uh, but also, also just, you know, I, I would sort of get into these weird sort of conversations myself about the various impracticalities of going back in time. I'd be like, what if I went back and I didn't have the right money? Or what <laughs> if I went back and I had to foil an assassination, but I couldn't remember when the assassination was. And oh, I, like that great Stephen King. I saw yeah. on Twitter too. He gave you a shout out on the movie. Oh, man, your your man. very gracious response, but it it has so much in common with him. But like that JFK, right? That that's well, yeah. that's one that always sticks with me for time travel. I think the thing is, I mean, it's. I mean, I'm so happy that Stephen King liked it and said he's going to go and see it again. <laughs> that, was, that was the best thing. Is I've got like two two like sort of tickets out of him. But <laughs> the thing that I think that he does really well, and I, I you know, like is that like so many of, and this is what haunts me about the movie, so much of his writing comes from like a sense of loss. There's like mm. real like sadness in his work. And, there, and, and I think a lot of those stories about, you know, and, and that one, you know, some of those time travel ones or just the, you know, even things like the dead zone, the idea of like sort of the kind of the complications of trying to kind of like change things or trying to sort of make things better through special powers. And you just can't, it's just impossible. So I think that's the thing that's interesting. It's sort of the, the opposite of superhero movies. Hmm. A way like sort of showing like sort of that you, you could have an amazing power like Eloise does in the movie, but it only brings kind of more complications and more kind of like sadness. And, and in a way, 
it is that thing about trying to sort of like live in the present day and 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 just kind of like look forward. And it's something that I think about a lot. The superpower she has, again, I feel like it's kind of like the superpower we have when we see a movie. Because for me, that sequence, she gets in the bed and she pulls over the sheet and it's almost like a curtain coming up, like at a theater or something. Suddenly we're watching and she's in all the mirrors watching and she sees the protagonist of the story she's watching is is her. She's both in the character, but watching the character. Yeah. So it's this fascinating, for me, it was this fascinating meta experience of like, Oh, this is kind of like I'm watching her watching the other person. Like we're we're all reflecting each other right now. And you walk out of the film and you're like, I was kind of just in the '60s, right? <laughs> no, that I mean, that's a a big part of that was I I would beyond the sort of like the allusions to other films, but be, beyond that, it's just like I have dreams like that. I have dreams all the time where I am somebody else. I'm in somebody else's body. I look like somebody else. Or now I'm watching myself do a scene. Like I'm now having an out of body experience where even just within the same dream, the perspective keeps kind of shifting. And I always found those dreams very interesting. And then in a way where I think the dream becomes a nightmare, and this is to go back to the Martin McFly thing, is because she isn't going back in time like Doctor Who or Marty McFly, where she could change the outcome of the future. She can't do anything. She is just an observer. And that might seem cool at first, like, hey, wouldn't it be great to go back to the 60s and be the invisible man and go to these clubs and, you know, just kind of watch like a voyeur almost. But then when disaster is on the horizon and tragedy, she cannot like avert tragedy. She can't do anything to stop it. She can't change the future. And that, that is the thing that like was, that was always the idea, but it's something that when you write those scenes and you see that like Eloise is, is, is attempting to change future events and calm is, is to us is really heartbreaking stuff. Yeah. And it, and it also seems to capture something about trauma and maybe even about assault because there is a thing, a thread there psychologically about feeling out of body or, unable to affect the course of things like watching from the outside. Did those things play in for you guys in the crafting of it, the writing? Well, there's one part, I don't want to go into it too much because it's probably a spoiler, but there is, there is something that's in the movie where when we started making the movie, the first thing I wanted to do, because I had the story and I also kind of like had just from living in London for 27 years, a very good sense of like the dark side of Soho, which is kind of something that like is, you know, kind of, um, disturbing and, and kind of ha- sort of happening in plain sight in the city. I don't want to tread into something like this lightly. So the first thing we did is hire a researcher to, to, to research everything about the movie, Lucy Pardee, who did this amazing kind of job whilst I was off making another movie of just, you know, researching the area and the history and lots of testimonials. And one thing that's very interesting relating to what you said is how people compartmentalize or traumatic event by choosing to forget details. Hmm. And, and it actually sort of has a tie-in with the sleep paralysis phenomenon. Hmm. In terms of that phenomenon around the world, it, it is a way that some people compartmentalize trauma. So it, I didn't want to talk too much about it because it kind of that's constant. Yeah, we can, yeah. <laughs> we can let people see what we're talking about. It is something that like, uh, I, you know, that it came up frequently and is very sort of like, harrowing but also just fascinating in terms of seeing how something like that kind of phenomena has an explanation 
Christy, do you have, uh, you know, from a writing perspective, you came in and it seems like Edgar here had like a lot of this story, but were there parts of it that you felt particularly connected to initially? And like, what was your approach like coming into work with him and, and where there's so many references and I kind of like cinematically, like I kept thinking about Vertigo, but I know there's other stuff in there too, Repulsion, et cetera. I mean, like, you know, Edgar had had this story percolating in his head for so long um, and had so many visuals and all this research and everything like that. So it was a real joy to come in, especially when you're writing towards something where you already know what the ending's going to be. It's really hmm. nice. It takes a lot of the pressure off. And I think, you know, what I really connected to the very first time I heard the story was Ellie's journey, because like Edgar, both of us really connect to this. I, I had moved from Glasgow to London to come to film school, um, been a massive fish out of water, tragically uncool, <laughs> and like never, never quite like ever feeling like I belonged for a really long time. And and I think, you know, everybody has that experience of moving to the big, big city. And so for me, that that first bit always felt like a sort of coming of age and where she makes bad choices. And, and the thing about real life is people make bad choices. And then I, I suppose what we, when we got into the writer's room and the stuff that we really leaned into is, is you know, really getting into the character, into the nitty gritty of of her and the decision she'll make and, and building everything out. So that's always supported. That's always the spine. And then I suppose we we expanded the 60s scenes as well and, and getting a bit more of Sandy and then having those sort of, the mirroring was always there visually. And and I think the, the you know, the, the strands in the story were there, but it was just picking them out and, and making it a character mirror as well. And having these two women go on a very similar journey at the beginning and then having, you know, that, fork in the road and, and seeing them drift to very different places. So yeah, it, I mean, for me, it is all about the character always. And and working with Edgar, you know, I know he makes fantastic films with really good characters in them. So I, I, I was very excited, relished that. Yeah. That aspect of the story that sinks into her being the fish out of water with the dream and showing up at the city. It's a familiar thing, but you guys sunk your teeth into it and it feels so real and honest and and human. I felt very sucked into it and I found myself thinking as an audience member, wow, I'm not a young woman who wants to go to London and design fashion, but I feel so connected to this person <laughs> right now. Like I feel like I'm so in it with her, you know? I think so. I mean, the, going to any big city is like so kind of just tough in terms of you have no kind of foothold and I just remember when I was 20, you know, I'm not an 18 year old girl from Cornwall, but <laughs> my, my experience in there as well, just in terms of when you come to London and it's like, you feel so out of place in terms of no, no context, no money, neither rich nor poor enough. Like somehow like sort of being really poor is kind of like was sort of cool in London, but I was like, <laughs> lower middle class is just like a nothing. It may as well right. be there. So like, it was just felt like it took me a long time to sort of like figure out I, I, I thought I kind of was pretty sure of myself until I moved to London. And, and the way that Thomason plays it, I mean, it, it really, it's funny, like before even the kind of the genre stuff has started, I remember my heart is already broken watching kind of like Thomason McKenzie's spirit crushed when she comes to London. It's just so awful to watch. Yes. Yes. It's almost more of a horror to me. That is almost more of a horror than anything else because it's so human and relatable, right? Well, that's yeah. going to happen to you, isn't it? Or has happened to you? I think that's or to your kids or to <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, 
I mean, just talking about like creating that that world of the '60s, it feels so playful and fun. How did you pull back when you needed to, and not just disappear into that? Like, I guess, like, is right because you talked about beefing it up from the writer's standpoint, but it just the music, the look of it, the color, like, it's just so your love for it and joy for it comes through. What is there from a crafting the story perspective? Like, a, hey, we have to kind of. We don't want to get lost in here like she is, like, did you, or, or like, because you have to keep it compartmentalized, sort of. Well, there was a interplay. There was a structural thing there where the kind of the dream sequences get shorter each time as they become more jagged and unsettling. They're also kind of like sort of getting shorter, and then so you know the sort of it's it, in a way it's sort of the the dreams are there to seduce you in a way, like sort of certainly the first one is like glamorous and alluring, but you know, there were red flags in there right from the off. Like, and I think if you watch it a second time, you can kind of spot things kind of like sort of coming the main character can't, you know? So that we did talk about that in terms of, in terms of a structure of like, and and at what point in the movie, there's a sort of, again, not too much detail, but there's a point where kind of like the, the dreams come back the other way. It's like she's slipping into the past and now the past is coming to get her. Mm, Yeah. I like that. Well said. I'm told that I pretty much have to wrap up. Do you guys have anything else you want to add just about people going into it or, you know, like have the experience of this movie is so great. I want to make sure people see it. Is it definitely a, you got to see it twice kind of thing. <laughs> so listen to the great author, Stephen King, the master of horror himself. <laughs> Stephen King wants to go back and see it again opening weekend. Then who are we to argue with that? That's right. Buy two tickets. Go see it twice. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for doing this. Chris, do you have anything to add? <laughs> I mean, no. How can you how can you follow up the Stephen King pitch? That's True. it. Fair. I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have even asked. <laughs> Edgar, thank you for coming back again. It's great. Uh, Christy, it's so nice to talk to you. Well, and, and good luck with the rest of it. And, and thank you for making the film, guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much to Edgar Wright and Christy Wilson-Kearns for coming on the podcast. Thanks, all of you, for listening. Last Night in Soho is one of those unique original concepts. We're lucky to get those. We're lucky to get them in theaters. I wholeheartedly ask everybody to support it while it's out there. And keep tuning in to the No Film School podcast. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, at George Edelman, for retweets of Dune memes and other nonsense. Be sure to check out our interview with the Dune Crafts people, Joe Walker and Greg Frazier. That dropped a couple days ago, but it is in the podcast feed, and it is awesome, and it is a good time to be a movie fan and a filmmaker. 